I actually think that where soccer football stands in this country, there's no such thing as competitors. I think that we are all benefiting from growing the sport as much as we can. So if more people are watching MLS and their TV rights grow and exceed what they're expecting, that's great for everyone. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports. I'm Tom Richardson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Joe Favorito. Joe and I were not able to spend time together at the Sloan Conference in Boston last week. I did not go. Joe went, and Joe was able to do three podcasts, so I need to play catch-up today. Uh, but Joe, tell us... Uh, briefly about how that conference went. I know some people were not able to make it because of you know the lingering concerns of COVID, mm-hmm. but it sounds like it was pretty well attended and there was a lot of good output from it. Uh, I know all the videos are posted on their YouTube channel, 42 Analytics, which I told my students about, but give us your uh, hot take on the, on the weekend. Yeah, it was that. And then I was at the Sports Pro OTT Summit. Oh, that's and, right. And that was a few days ago, right? Okay. Yeah. And, and the Wise Lunch and the Big East Tournament and how do you do any real work? I mean, it's, you, you know, you're the, you're America's guest at these conferences. It's funny. Like I literally at the wise lunch and I had my laptop on my lap and looking at my phone at the same time, but okay. it was a, it was a great, and here we are, by the way. So just to level set, we are doing this on March 11th, which is two years to the day of when everything stopped. Mm-hmm. And it's really kind of, um, emotional when people think about where we were when Rudy Gobert tested positive and Tom Hanks tested positive. And here we are today, you know, and I just spent a week kind of rushing back to normal without even thinking about it until this morning, really. And um, I'm really excited to where not only the things we've learned and the people we've met virtually, although not in person, and Tom, I still haven't seen you since we left, went down that escalator and uh, and in Boston. Years, um, but I think it's um, I'm excited about where we're going and a lot of the the interesting things of the two conferences this week and the wise lunch and we're, we're looking forward and, um, you know, a lot of talk, you know, there was an amazing panel if people should watch it with Malcolm Gladwell leading a discussion on uh, transgender athletes uh, and what's recently happened, especially around the Ivy League with two swimmers and, um, you know, it'll be interesting when you look back a year from now with all the initials being thrown out and, you know, what's a DAO, what are NFTs doing? Really interesting conversation with Gary Vee on um, saying- Yeah, that I, 90- I actually watched that one. He and Michael yeah. Rubin talking about the NFTs. 95% of NFTs will fail. And that's- they, It was 90, and, and 98, way, but who's counting? 98, right. <laughs> but then the funny thing was another guy who, you know, we've kind of followed, Sam Rubinroyd from the NFL, talked about their level of engagement in NFTs and how 70% of their NFTs were open and they launched 50,000 NFTs during the season with the NFL. So it's, it's a lot all over the place. The two, the two topics that I was surprised it didn't come up. Ironically, there was like no talk about gambling, which I think maybe it's kind of been there, done that everybody's done it. The other one, which I was disappointed. Wait, wait, wait. There was a panel. because I did watch it actually. It was Chad Millman. Yeah. It was not. Rini Anderson, but they did have, they, they had Amy from FanDuel. I mean, it was a yeah. really good panel, I would, I would yeah. say. And there were guys on other, pa- you know, people on other panels and then um, who were involved, but not really it was much more about, ironically, when Jason Robbins is talking, he's talking about engagement and, and content, not really talking about gambling, which I thought right. was interesting because that's where we're going. The other topic that I, I was surprised that didn't come up was mental health. 
and there were really there were some athletes there, not a lot, but enough where I think you could have had a discussion because of the backdrop of NI, the pressure of NIL, which was another good panel, and and where all this is going is tremendous pressure on on young people and families, uh, regardless of gender, success, to try and create a new business around themselves, and and it all kind of ties together. But it was. You know, it was, again, really well done. Kudos to, to Daryl Morey and, and Jessica Gelman for getting their students moving. Kudos to Sports Pro for, you know, creating an event in Queens, of which it was snowing the second day on Wednesday. Um, but, you know, and, and then, by the way, the best panel, if someone gets to watch it for Sport Pro, was our colleague Chris Lincheski, uh doing a conversation about with Meta about the metaverse and where it's going. Mm-hmm. Um and that was a really interesting discussion back and forth. And there were some really good women's sports panels. But all in all, it was just good to see people. And yeah, yeah. Um, it was really, you know, we had one cocktail reception on Friday night that the, the Premier Hockey Federation hosted. And just to kind of see people, I think everybody was just elated that, you know, you weren't behind the screen. Some people were still masked. Everybody, by the way, the crazy thing was the two days of Sloan. So the mask mandate, indoor mask ma- mandate ended at midnight on Friday. So the first day, everybody had a mask on. The second day was like the okay. last day of school, everybody had a mask on. So, um, but it was good. I mean, it was great to be out, great to be at the Big East tournament, which my buddy, John Paquette, who's run PR for the Big East for decades, we were talking in the press room and he started to get very emotional because he was standing there realizing the last time he was standing in that spot with people there was the halftime of the St. John's Creighton game, which had to be stopped. Right. Because that's when Al Ackley decided that's to right. the Big East. Yeah. yeah. So. Wow. Um, anyway, but it was a great week. But, you know, not knowing when this is going to fall in the cadence, I think it will probably fall. If you're listening to this, it probably may even be March or April. But let's talk soccer. Well, also, <laughs> let's let's talk. Oh. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before, yeah. I mean, before we talk about soccer, one other thing we shouldn't forget. Congratulations to our friend Jessica Berman, who this week became the commissioner of the NWSL. Yes, so, that was another big, big news. Well, so, and, and the, the biggest news of the week since I've seen you is the um, the labor agreement reached yesterday, uh, which, was, yep. which was uh, welcomed by the entire industry, of course. So, yep. And I think between the good vibe now with the start of ba- the baseball season actually starting, March mm-hmm. Madness, uh, which begins officially next week, um, it's a good time to be a sports fan. We've got the Masters coming up. And if you yeah. love soccer, it's a really good time yeah. to be alive. Oh, in, in the but by the way, one more thing before we get to our guest. We're going to tell the world right now, Sam, Yash, Tom, and I are going to put in a bid to buy Chelsea. We're going to do it. So everybody else is. So we're yeah. going to put in a bid to buy Chelsea as well. Right. I don't think your, uh, your uh, oligarch bona fides are going to work, Joe. So that might be a we'll tough bid. All right, so we are we are thrilled to have our a uh, guest today who's one of the bright lights in the world of soccer and media. Um, someone we've been following for a while since his uh, ascension into the upper echelon of uh, media as it relates to sports, specifically when he became four years ago the head of CEO of La Liga North America. Um, some of you know our guest. Some of you have heard about our guest, and we're pleased to introduce him to our listeners of the Cusp Show, Boris Gartner, whose background is beyond impressive, uh, extensive experience in media. Uh, I mentioned his stewardship of La Liga as La Liga expanded 
to the North American market uh, four years ago. He became the head of that. We're going to talk about that today. But before that, he had very impressive positions in the media industry as head of strategy and operations and as chief operating officer of Televisa. He worked as co-president and COO of Fusion TV, which is a fairly well-known media property. I think that was a JV of Univision mm -hmm. and Disney. The list goes on. Those are the most recent positions. If I went through his whole background, Joe, we'd need another half an hour because uh, <laughs> it's been one of the most stellar media careers I think I've ever uh, run across. Um, Boris, welcome to the show. We're really thrilled to have you. Yeah. Tom, Joe, thank you so much for inviting me. And, and you guys are too kind. Uh, very, very pleased to be having a conversation with, with you guys. Yeah, well, we appreciate the time you're giving us. So we both have a bunch of questions. There's so many issues we want to cover. Why don't we start with um, the last part of your career journey that led you to La Liga ultimately four years ago? Because that's the important thing, because we want to talk about La Liga and your mission in North America and Latin America. But um, you had the stellar background. You obviously were on the leading edge of how media was evolving. And that's, that's an important, I think, component of your career based on everything I read about it, how you seem to be one step ahead at all times in terms of where things were going. And, and I assume you, you're bringing, you've brought that mindset to La Liga, particularly with the really interesting deals you've done, which we'll mention. Uh, but talk about that uh, transition from the hardcore part of the media market now into the world of pro sports. Yeah. So listen, in, in my mind, every time that I'm having, you know, a conversation like this, I, there's what, what I think ends up being more important is the, is the story behind this story. Right. And I think that, um, I've been very lucky, um, kind of that, you know, right place, right time type of, of situation along my career. And I've just met, you know, um, throughout my career, people that have been amazingly generous um, and have helped me a lot to the way. And, and I count, you know, a number of mentors that, that I think have defined my career, but everything ends up kind of falling in place in, in a nice way. And I'll tell you a, a little bit of a, of a story. I, I'm originally from Colombia, um, moved to the U.S. in 2006. And my initial career, you know, I started business in Colombia. I did a master's in business in, in, in Miami, uh, but I started in real estate and real estate investment in Miami in 2008. So smack in the middle of the financial crisis and at the core where everything, you know, was falling apart. Um, and I was there doing that close to three years. And it was the most amazing three years of my life because I learned so much, uh, not just from, you know, kind of hard skills, but soft skills as, as well. You know, the uncertainty and be feeling comfortable and actually thriving within you know an uncertain uh moment we were changing business plans almost every week um and that i think has shaped a lot you know my career i i then ended up moving to to the media world and you know started um always on the on the business side of media the news department at univision and then almost in a in in a number of positions that were uh, very entrepreneurial within larger organizations. Um, so launched a digital studio at, at Univision um, that was trying to reach younger audiences and monetizing in a different way than the fusion experience, which was amazing. Um, not just you know being part of the team that negotiated that joint venture with with Disney and and seeing you know 
massive corporation like Disney, um, you know, being on the side of, of Univision, um, then operating that and then negotiating out of that joint venture um, and understanding the dynamics and the complex dynamics of a joint venture. Um, and that almost never works, you know? Um, I think opposed as what people usually think. Um, and then moving to, uh, to a, a joint role between Univision and Televisa, which at the time, the intention was to get the content, you know, unit of Televisa to work closer with Univision and ended up being the precursor of what, uh, what we saw about a year ago announced the, you know, the merger between Univision and Televisa. And now, you know, it was approved uh, um, and completed a, a, a couple months ago. Um, and from that, you know, I think the jump to the sports world uh, was, was a, a function of that process on the hardcore media side, as you were mentioning, Tom, um, that just at the end of the day, it's converging, you know, um, and sports as much as, as it's about the sport person, the heart and the passion and the drama um, is about a media business. Um, and so when uh, I, I actually was coming back from the World Cup in Russia in 2018 um, and just a, an interesting fact there, um, I, I have uh, there's 10 friends from high school um, and we are all, all over the world. Um, and we decide that we're going to get together for years around the World Cup. Um, so we did that in Brazil. Um, and that's kind of our month, our moment where we, you know, kind of get together. And so I was coming back from the Russia World Cup um, and I get a call from a friend, you know, and, and it's just, you know, what are you doing? What are your plans? And I said, listen, I, I, I'm taking a break. I don't know what I want to do. I know what I don't want to do. Um, and, and I'm taking off some, some time. He said, right, there's a group based out of New York, relevant sports, you know, uh, Steven Ross that are closing a joint venture with La Liga to run their business in, in the U.S. initially, and they're looking for somebody to run it. Um, would you be interested? And he basically said, we're looking for, they're looking for somebody that has experience running uh, a joint venture, uh, media background, speak Spanish, love soccer. Now like, all right, check, check, check. Yeah. You know, I'm, there's, there's as much as, I, as I'm in, in my sabbatical, let's call it, I, I would be, uh, I, would, I would probably remiss the opportunity if I didn't talk to them. So ended up flying to New York, uh, met with Steve, with Danny Selman. Um, they told me what they were doing on, on the La Liga side. Um, and a week and a half after that, I was moving to New York with my family and starting this. Um, wow. So that's a, a, a little bit of a, of a long story, but I think it summarizes it that um, I, it's easy to connect the dots backward. Um, mm -hmm. When you're going through that, you really don't know where it's going and it's fine to not know where it's going. You know, at, at some point it'll make sense. Did, I, I assume you had to get interviewed by the La Liga management as well along, along <laughs> that way, right? Yes. You, you, you left that out of the, of the, of the sequence, <laughs> but that must have been the uh, very important moment as well, no? Yeah, and, and I think it goes to a little bit of our, of our conversation at the beginning. You know, this is a, this is a very small world um, and, and particularly a small industry. Um, so, so to your point, after I, I met um, the relevant guys, I, I did a, a, an interview with, uh, with La Liga um, and we happened to have a few different people in common 
specifically one one person that uh, used to be the president of entertainment at Univision. He was the president of News for Telemundo for a while, Luis Hernandez. Um, he was the chairman of Televisión Española, the, the public broadcasting company in Spain. So I had the opportunity to work with him for a number of years. And so when I started this, I called him, you know, just to say, hey, give me your thoughts. You know that, you know, uh, crowd at La Liga, that world, you know, and 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 that was also um, a part of the conversation that made me feel comfortable. And I think it gave also La Liga uh, the confidence that this was not a, a random, you know, uh, American, Colombian guy showing up because there's a lot of, of, of trust and and kind of protection um i think it's a cultural thing but also you know the the you know soccer football in in europe in general as you guys know but specifically you know la liga in spain it's a product that they that they take a lot of time to protect and care and grow in the right way you know as, as a cultural asset let's let's say um and they're not giving away their their brand and their rights to just anyone. I think that was a big part of also why they decided to partner with Relevant. You know, Relevant being in the in the soccer football industry for seven eight years at that point. You know, with really the track record and the relationships that made everybody felt comfortable. So I think it was as much as as the skills and the and the experience that I brought to the table. Um, it was that you know package of you know just trust and and feeling good about each other um go ahead, Joe. Go ahead, a question sure go first okay yeah this this is probably a good quick follow-up when you got the job obviously there was a charter there you had your marching orders um could you just characterize what that was because you're not the first you're one of the first things i should say that came over from europe to figure out a way to build a business in North America. Uh, and I'm curious to hear what, what that mission was in, in, in a in summarized form. I know it's probably, there's probably a lot going on, but can, can you describe that? Yeah, so in, in very broad terms, the mandate was, was simple. Um, La Liga understood that the two most important international markets for them you know, was China and, and the US. You don't need, you know, to do a lot of, of research or due diligence to, to get to that conclusion. But they were really smart in understanding that um, going alone on a market like the U.S. market was probably not the best, you know, use of time. And it would take a, a, a lot of, again, time, resources, investment, and that they needed to find actually a partner that could co-invest with them, but also accelerate that. Timeline. And, and that's what they found on relevant. So when I, when I get in, the mandate was, you know, soccer is growing, you know, you have uh, the 2026 World Cup eight years from that point. Um, and then we need to make sure that we grow not just the league, but grow soccer in general um, and capitalize on that growth in those next eight years um, so that we are making La Liga, its clubs and players more popular, but that you're also monetizing it. And so I think that one of the key differences is the approach and the mentality that they had and that you know we've brought to the table since we launched. And it's this is not a marketing effort. I think that that's one of the big mistakes that other international leagues or clubs actually make when they come to the US. First of all, they underestimate the market. The market. 
They mm -hmm. think that, yeah, it's a huge market, you know, um, I'll go there. I have a big brand in Europe. I'll, you know, take a WeWork and Park Avenue and put out a press release that now I have a US office and that's it. You don't need to do a lot more. You know, people, brands will come to your door knocking and you're going to get coverage and it's, you know, you maybe end up lighting the Empire State Building with the colors of your league <laughs> or your club right? and, and that's it and you're done. Um, my approach, and I think it was something that that both you know La Liga and Relevant had in mind since the beginning, is this is a business, and let's run it as a business. And what's the actual plan? And it needs to make money at the end of the day um, to reinvest in the business and keep on growing it, but also to you know give money back to the clubs. Um, this is an investment and not a marketing expense. Um, and then from that, you know, I was actually given a lot of freedom to execute on the plan um however i see fit and my approach was um again and not taking a shot at what some of the other the others do because i do think that the more that we can do to help grow the sport the better for everyone um but you know you have some of these teams that do the you know or leagues that do the activations a watch party here and there you know just to check the box and and that's it and in our mind that's not scalable um and not you know profitable so coming from the traditional media business um the strategy was centered around content um it was a very simple proposition yes it's the league and when you do a big story about you know at that time messi or you do right now a story around you know uh, Benzema, yeah, that those are global superstars. So any story that you do around them will get, you know, massive reach. But it's harder to actually find the niche audiences that you want to develop and do stories around each of those niche audiences. That maybe when you do a story around Andres Guardado or Diego Lainez, the two Mexican national team players that play at Betis, um, and you, when you add 10 of those stories, it might be the same size as a Benzema or a Messi story, but you're actually building a community. You're hitting Mexican-Americans in the U.S. that are really interested in that type of content that might not be, again, a, a global content per se, just because of the, of the size of the, of the stars in, in the market. Um, but in our mind, that was the key to our success in the awareness and growth piece of it. The added benefit to that was that we were creating local assets that were generating local engagement that we can then turn around and sell. So we're not just trying to monetize global media assets from Spain, LED boards and stuff like that. Um, we went after the, let's, let's build assets that brands in the US are used to owning um, that have really organic engagement and then you get kind of that virtuous cycle where you're growing your audience and the engagement, you're creating more assets that you can monetize and you can reinvest. Um, so that's it, it, it in a, in a nutshell, kind of a, a we saw it at the beginning. Um, then there's a bit of a longer uh, explanation, but we based the strategy around five pillars. Um, the first one was growth, the value of the TV rights and the reach of, of our games. Second one is content, which I already explained. Third one, being able to actually monetize in the right way that growth of the audience and making a business sustainable. Uh, fourth, events and activations. So yeah, as much as the, you, you can do content and non-digital that's scalable, 
you need touch points in certain parts of the of, of the region where you need to build that you know uh, organic presence and then the fifth one uh, grassroots and it's basically a way to help grow the sport in general not just la liga so so question both hats that you've worn from the media side and now at la liga you know one of the the, the biggest kind of you know questions that comes up especially amongst anglo marketers is latino you touched a little bit about marketing a mexican player to a mexican audience when when you look and someone comes to you and says oh latino the latino audience in the us is growing but it's so segmented i don't know what that means what do you tell them and that's really more from a not even from a you know a, a, a um kind of like um a Spanish perspective, but, but how do you quantify, or is there a way to quantify or, or best serve the, the growing Latino audience, whether they speak English or Spanish first in the U S yes. So yes, it's very segmented and actually you should, you know, and everybody kind of coming into, into the business should know that Hispanics are not a monolith and it's not just, you're doing stuff in Spanish. So you're covered and you're good. Um, Cause I think that's been, a historic mistake again not only on the you know media entertainment side but politics and we're not going to get into that but but it, it's mm -hmm. part of that of the same issue um and the quick answer joe is um the best way to segment that hispanic audience is based on behavior and demographics so you have first generation hispanics right yep. it's usually spanish speakers consume content in Spanish and are way more connected to that Hispanic heritage than, you know, second, third generation. So that, you know, first generation Hispanic, you can, and again, there's nuances to that, but you can broadly say that you reach them in Spanish. In our case, you don't need to sell them on soccer. They've grown up on soccer. They watch soccer. Um, mm -hmm. If they're from Mexico, their first, you know, team is going to be either America or Chivas or Monterrey or, or Atlas or whatever it might be. And the second team, 95% of the time, is a La Liga team. So it's either Real Madrid, Barcelona, mm. Sevilla, Atletico, whatever it might be. But there is a natural and organic connection. That's our low-hanging fruit, to put it in a way. Um, and that's our super fan. So our interest in that front was... How can we get La Liga closer to them and make sure that we have a product that it's easy for them to watch, to consume, and to interact with? Then the second bucket is second, third generation Hispanics. Born here as American, as general market, but they're proud of their Hispanic heritage. Um, English dominant, consume content in English in the platforms that the general market consumes content and they follow soccer. Again, you don't need to sell them on soccer. They follow it. They've grown up with it, watching with their parents on their own, um, but it's not limited to soccer. They follow NFL as anybody from the general market would, NBA, etc. That is, in terms of volume of the market, is much smaller than the first bucket of first generation Hispanics. But is the growth demo. That's where the growth is really coming um, for the past decade and will continue to be for the next decade. And the interesting part is that for us, um, that's the top of the spear to reach actually the general market, meaning young, multicultural, diverse audiences in the US that are not necessarily Hispanic. 
um, because again, they consume content in the same way, they behave in the same way. Um, and so they've also grown up in a way with soccer, probably less you know, active as, as Hispanics just because of exposure. Um, but they're aware of the sport and they like it and they follow it. And at that point, it's just more of a, of a, of a selling during unique moments of time uh, where you can get them hooked to, to, to the product. Um, one of the, of the kind of the way to address the, you know, kind of general market older demographic. And I, I use an example and now it's, I think, timely with, uh, with everything that's going on um, with, with baseball, for example. Um, yeah, I'm aware that we're living outside a demo that could potentially be interested in soccer, but it's not priority one, two, three, and four. It's fifth. So I need to make sure that I'm covering my bucket one, two, and three. And then whenever I get to that you know, person that I want to convert to soccer, um, I'll get there, but it's not something that I'm going to be able to do on my own. And I think that's more of the structural uh, uh, changes and opportunities that you'll see over the next few years. Again, with the World Cup coming, there's a lot of people that will get more exposure to the sport. And maybe when they're there, I'll try to get them to be a La Liga fan. So I, I, a little bit of a long answer, but I don't know if it, if it answers your question. Yes, that's great. Okay, kind of a related follow-up, Boris. Um, I guess the first big announcement that came from La Liga North America, the JV, with Relevant, was your media rights deal with Disney, ESPN, ABC, uh, reportedly for a billion four for US and Canada. Obviously, a lot of strategy went into that on both sides to figure out how you'd optimize what you guys were trying to do. But what's interesting, as I understand it, the majority of the games will be are on ESPN Plus which is obviously streaming service was one of the, and this just occurred to me as you were talking about your five levels of, uh, of breakdown was one of the motivations associated with the idea that in a streaming media environment, you can get a lot more data on your customers than you can do with traditional TV, linear TV. So there, there were a, a few different things. The first one, um, having a partner like Disney, ESPN, um, it's it's just a, a motivation on its own. Um, we were partners with them uh, more than 10 years ago. Then we shifted to being sports. Um, and then with the changing, you know, uh, media landscape and to your point with how, you know, people are consuming content in, in, in primarily on streaming now, and that's only going to continue to accelerate. For us, it was the opportunity to be with a partner that was, you know, strong on their traditional platform, to put it in a way, but that was also betting aggressively on that future. Because our, our kind of mission was simple. We want to get a La Liga branded piece of content wherever our audience is, in whatever platform they are. We're not, you know, locked in one platform versus the other, or just wherever your audience is consuming content, we want to be there. Um, and I think that's what ESPN really brought to the table. And so you're absolutely right. The, all the games, all the 380 games from first division are on ESPN plus. And that simplicity of the offering was key for us. Um, I think there was a, a tweet from a reporter. You guys probably saw it two weeks ago or so. I think it's a, it's a front office sport reporter uh, basically listing all the different services. Oh yeah, the different, to, right, the, the 12 yeah. or 13 different networks to find right. soccer. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that the, the, the 
focus or the angle that he wanted to have with that tweet is like, this is so fragmented that it's impossible to watch everything. I, I actually look at it the other way around. There hasn't been a moment where more of those soccer or international football properties have been available for a consumer in the US. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not something that happened you know, three years ago or even two years ago. Um, now, if you are a, 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 a soccer fan, you know that, and I, and I consider myself a, 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 a deep consumer of soccer, and I watch not only La Liga, but a bunch of other leagues. I don't watch or have interest in all the, you know, 13, you know, 20, you know, uh, uh, leagues that are offered here, but maybe there's somebody that has, it's like a puzzle. You might be interested in Champions League, Premier League, and the Colombian League, whatever it might be. So, um for us, the simplicity, um, going back to that fan that we're trying to serve, if I'm a La Liga hardcore fan and I watch four or five games a weekend, I want to know that with one subscription service in one platform, I can get them all in English and in Spanish. It's right, simple. Right. And that's what ESPN provides. Yeah. You can watch there in English, in Spanish, um, different feats of the games, and you don't have to... Uh, to build a puzzle every weekend to see if this game is going to be here this weekend or not. So that was, that, that was the key for us. And then on top of that is how was ESPN leveraging the rest of their portfolio, not just, you know, linear cable broadcast, but digital um, events, et cetera, to push and promote La Liga. And I have to tell you that um, we couldn't have a better partner for that. We've had uh, so far in the season. And I guess that the caveat is, we're in year one of eight. So mm-hmm. there's a lot, you know, that we're experimenting with and learning and improving day, every day. But so far we've had um, two games that have aired on ABC. The first game of the season, um, Barcelona against Real Sociedad aired on ABC. Um, two weekends ago, we had Real Madrid y Alaves that aired on ABC. And every weekend they're picking selected matches that, also go on linear, but it's not an either or. Again, if you're a super fan, every game is on ESPN Plus, and you might have opportunities as a casual fan to find some of these games on all of, on some of, of, of their platforms. Um, but the other big part is their digital footprint. Um, if you're not a soccer fan, but just you're a general sports fan, you have the ESPN app, the push notifications where they're promoting not just La Liga games, but La Liga narratives and storylines, etc. It's an amazing way for us to get in front of an audience that we were probably not getting in front of before. And that just by being La Liga or soccer specific, we wouldn't not get in front of. Um, so that's also a big, a, a big part of it. And even within ESPN Plus, the fact that you, again, as a sport fan, uh, go to our homepage and you have a La Liga game featured right by an NBA game or a golf tournament or an NHL game, that exposure that you get inherently from being part of that platform and that family is something that for us is incredibly important. Um, Boris, fair assumption or not, I would say the casual football fan in the U.S. knows Real Madrid and Barcelona. There's an amazing amount of stories, athletes and club traditions below that in La Liga. Where does that sit on the priority list of, you know, let, let everybody figure out, you know, Barca and Madrid, they're going to get that. But we have so many other things that we could potential market to and audiences that we can reach with these other stars. How do you prioritize that, especially when you go out and I'm sure the first person, you know, on a sales 
call or an immediate call will come out and say, that's great. Just tell me about Barcelona and Madrid because it's easy for them. How, how do you prioritize that? So it's so a couple of things. The first one, yeah, we lead in, we lead with Barcelona and Real Madrid because it would be stupid for us not to. I mean, those right. are two amazing and powerful brands with huge followings. Who cares um, about the Yankees? Let's talk about the Tampa it, Bay Rays. In, in the world, and in the not just in the world of football, but in the world of sports. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we lead with that. Um, but as I was explaining to you guys before, there is a key difference between doing a story on Real Madrid that reaches a, a global population just because of the brand that they are, than actually doing the work, and it's harder, uh, of finding what are the storylines that resonate with specific niche audiences that you want to pull up or pull down. Um, and that's a lot of the work that we do. But actually, using your same example, when we go out on a, on a sales call with a sponsor, um, we talk about the league, we talk about the reach that we have. But then if they have a specific focus in reaching Mexican-Americans, we have a strategy for that. If they're interested in reaching uh, Colombians, we have a strategy for that because we have the breadth of the individual stars from all of these countries and the and the teams that allow us to pull depending on what the priorities are. Um, and so around our content strategy, and I think this is the main driver of it, we have a 25-person studio based in Guadalajara, Mexico, um, that produces content specifically for the U.S. audience um, wow. in English and in Spanish. So we're producing... 20 digital shows every week um, that we release across our platforms. Some of them, you know, get uh, get also distributed by ESPN in this case, um, where we know, again, our audience better than anyone else. And we have the capability to say, all right, we're going to this, you know, uh, this week is important to highlight Mexicans because it's the independence of Mexico, whatever it might be. And we can create content around Guardado and Linus and this and that. But we have the research and the production capability and the distribution power to actually move those levers depending on, on what we want to prioritize. Cool. Uh, one other follow-up to that, and I mentioned NWSL at the beginning. Uh, La Liga has made a pretty substantial commitment to growing women's football as well. Um, how does that factor into the strategy, not just in Spain, but around the world? So the first thing is La Liga does not manage or control the women's league in Spain. Um, right. It used to be managed by the Spanish Federation. Now, finally, and, and, and we're all incredibly happy with it. It's going to be setting up a similar independent structure as La Liga, but just to manage, again, the specifics of the, of the women's game. But La Liga has had, you know, for the past six years, a department within within the team that focuses on that growth of the women's game and it be it uh, support from a sporting point of view commercial point of view just leveraging all the efforts because if you it's similar this similar to here sorry but um in spain most of the men's teams have their women's team so it's part of the same of the same club um and so in their mind if i'm growing uh, Barcelona as a brand, yeah, you're pushing the men's team, but you're pushing the women's team. And so there's a lot of, of synergy, even though we don't manage the, the league. And then for us here in the U.S. specifically, knowing that the women's game in the U.S. women's national team has been the driver or one of the main drivers for the growth of soccer in the country. And so us making sure that we understand 
why and tied to that and try to help and cross promote, you know, it's actually beneficial um, for the sport in general. So, so it is, it is an important piece of it. Great. All right, Joe, it's NFT time. Uh -oh. Here we go. <laughs> One of the other really exciting announcements that came out of uh, your office, Boris, uh, I guess at the end of last year, I can't remember what, what month it was, was your announcement to do a partnership with Dapper Labs, following in the footsteps of the NBA with their Top Shot initiative. You're doing a Dapper Labs partnered NFT initiative now that has yet to launch, as I understand it, but is in process. Right. So, so two, two parts of this question. You're the first soccer league to do an NFT deal. I mean, they're so rare, but that's not really the same model. Um, you're the first international league to do an NFT that, that I'm aware of that, that's doing an NFT deal. Can you share some of the backroom conference room strategy that you had to think through as you were doing that deal and as you think about where you want to go with it? And number two is, can you give us some uh, insights, how properties such as yours that are so rich in content, as you just pointed out, how you actually curate that content to, to decide what's, what's mintable for the NFT marketplace. Yeah. So the first thing we started talking to Dapper in early 2019, when they were working on the MBA deal. Um, and I have to tell you that the first time that we chatted with them and we met with them, um, they were explaining crypto kitties and the success with NFTs. And we're like, all right, dumb it down. What are you talking about? Why are people spending how much money on crypto kitties? And like, so it was, it was a, it was a learning process, but for us. Suppose, do you have the answer for that, by the way? Cause we're still kind of fishing around. Yeah, people are still asking that question. And it's two years later, three years later. <laughs> So, so for us, it was, it was a great learning process and, and we went into it saying, all right, with the kind of the thought that we want to be where our audience is, all right, I, I'm interested, just tell me more about it. And of course, you know, when they come and explain, you know, how it works and, and then, you know, we're, we're have this deal with the NBA and this is what they're going to do. Um, once you understand that it's something that's beyond let's say the the noise around it and i agree with with the um position that that gary vaynerchuk had at, at, at the conference 98 percent of those projects are, are going to probably fail and it's part of, of that bubble but the underlying concept of what the blockchain and the nft brings uh to the table in terms of content and how you're interacting with that content that's going to be there so um started conversations early on um, as they started making more progress with MBA, we were kind of, you know, still having our conversations. Um, and we got to the conclusion that for us, given all the unknowns, we had to look at, at, at the blockchain category or platform to put it in a way as an ecosystem. And so what we know as of this point and when we did the deal is that there is a specific opportunity around highlights, collectible highlights. And that's, you know, all because of that. And so we said, all right, Who's the best person company to do a partnership with in collectible highlights is Dapper and, and, and we had that relationship with them. So we went and worked on it. Then we said, all right, there's now a very clear opportunity on fantasy games with NFT cards. So that's the Sorares of the world. And so we went and did a deal with Sorare. Um, but we don't know what's going to come. 
and we don't know what are the different categories, utilities, etc. So we didn't want, and we purposely avoid doing a blanket NFT partnership just because we we didn't know what was going to happen in a year, two years, five years. Um, and so that approach as an ecosystem has actually played really well because it has allowed us to um, bet on on the future, but at the same way keep our options open. Um, and mm -hmm. so with that specifically, they've been an amazing partner, not just in, in, in helping us actually structure the deal as well, because when you get into the world of audiovisual and media rights content, all right, did you grant those rights already or not? Is it a broadcaster that has those rights or are they yours or are they the club specific rights? So there's a bunch of those things and they were really helpful in, 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 in guiding us throughout the process. Um, and again, I think that the monetization potential in the short run is clear. Um, and for us, you know, as you know how, how this works and specifically coming out of COVID, like, all right, what are new sources of, of, of revenue and, and what's going to help drive the business and, and kind of pull it out of the, of the tough times with COVID, but also what are we doing proactively again, to be in front of our audience, if I'm not reaching them today. Um, so that was the thought process of why we moved fast, but also in a very strategic and careful way to protect our future. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's really, really uh, quite interesting to think about how you're, categorizing that stuff and kind of like what's happening in pro sports now, Joe, with the gambling business where there are not many blanket deals, rather there are all these distinctive yeah. um, uh, arrangements yeah. that are yeah. allowing the leagues to monetize and experiment all at the same time, uh, yeah. which is the ultimate prize, of course, when you're a licensor of valuable rights. But, but there's a lot, and, and I'm, I'm sure that you guys see it every day, there's a lot of, of you know, non-credible parties and companies no that way. are popping up. <laughs> Absolutely not, <laughs> true. not Not in and the crypto world. No, imagine. No. So so for us it was, you know, talking about that that importance and trust of the brand. We we were really thoughtful and careful on who we partnered. If we would have gone for take the biggest check, um, yeah, there were a ton of other options. Um, right. But we knew that a month from then, two months, a year, we were going to be in a situation where it was hurting our brand. Probably we're not able to collect. I mean, all, some of the scandals that have popped up in, 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 in the sports world um, and we wanted a, a solution that gave us short-term rewards, but with long-term protection. Right, yeah, and so, that makes so it acting, like, like low risk. NFTs didn't come up, Tom, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> right, but it's also like kind of the, the leagues have the best of both worlds because it's kind of low risk, high reward. Because so, they're licensing deals fundamentally. But it de yeah, but it depends. Because I think that that low risk, high reward, you can consider it high reward today. But if you're not what you're, if you don't know what you're pledging from a year from now or two years from now, the reward might be this big. It would be very small. Um, yeah, fair, fair enough. But I would say this, that I, I would imagine, and Joe and I have talked about this before, when the NBA did its deal with Dapper Labs, I doubt in any business projections, they, they would think that the market would have reached close. I think it succeeded a billion dollars. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, uh, I don't think anybody would have predicted that. And with a, a fairly standard licensing agreement that pro leagues do, that's a nice payday for the NBA without having mm -hmm. to have a heavy lift to kind of experiment in this market with a now a very reliable, which appears to be a reliable company with a good valuation. 
and a good future. For sure. Hey, um, last question for me, Boris. Uh, you know, Tom mentioned, and you talked about that laundry list of where you can watch football in the U.S. for whatever niche or whatever, however big or small you wanted to go. Um, what is the relationship from a media, from a tactical, from a business standpoint uh, between La Liga and MLS, which, you know, some could view as competitive, some could view as complementary. How does that work? And then obviously, Tom, we should get our, to our last few questions. Yeah, too. Uh, so. yeah. I, I actually think that where soccer football stands in this country, there's no such thing at, at, as uh, competitors. I think that we are all benefiting from growing the sport as much as we can. So if more people are watching MLS and their TV rights grow and exceed what they're expecting. That's great for everyone. You know, the great. deal that, the, that that we did, I think it benefits, again, everyone. It, it sets a higher standard of interest for the sport as a whole. Of course, each deal um, and each league has its nuances and specific, you know, audiences that they're reaching, et cetera. But as a whole, more attention to the sport and the product and more interest from media companies to actually come in and spend more money because they're seeing uh, a return in the number of users that are subscribing to an OTT service and it's driving their business. It's great for all of us. The fact that um, Premier League did that monster deal with NBC, it's great. And, and, and hopefully the next iteration of all of those deals continue to grow. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so uh, we should go to our last segment, Boris. And uh, Joe, I just realized we, we didn't give Boris a warning about our final two questions, which we ask right. every guest. So we have to ask you, Boris. They should be easy for you. You have to answer them, but that's okay. Yeah. The, the, first, the first is um, how you keep up and stay smart. What are you reading? What are you listening to? What do you follow uh, to do your job well and, and, and be a good executive? And the second is... Um, We'd appreciate it if you could offer some career advice, particularly for younger people building their careers in the business. So uh, the first one, it's it's a lot. It probably will give you a laundry list, the same as that you know tweet. But um, Sportico, I think those guys are doing an amazing job. I really find you know what they do very insightful. Front office sports um, is also something that I read every day. Um, SBJ and not only the reporters and the journalists that they have, but the events I find, you know, incredibly insightful. And then the the two last ones that I'm gonna do is Axios Sports, which I really like. And then following very specific uh, personalities within our within our industry. I mean, you two guys are, are a must follow. Um, Tarek from the New York Times is a must follow. Um, so I, I think it's a, it's a curation just to kind of keep on going on the theme of, of fragmentation. I don't think you can find everything in one place and it's a curation of individual talent and personalities as well as primarily for me, newsletters. Um, I feel that if I have to pick a, a type of product, you know, newsletters and podcasts um, more than anything else. Could you mention a couple of pods before we move on to question two? Sure. Yours? Oh, uh, cannot miss it. <laughs> okay, well, thank um, you. Didn't expect that. The the, the, the Sportycast um, is one that I've that I've come to enjoy. Just the, the conversation between Scott and and Evan is is something that I uh, the insight and the access that they have, but also the the dynamic between them is is something that I that I uh, uh, really like. Cool. cool. Uh, and then the second one was about career advice. 
Um, I, I guess constant theme through our conversation. This industry is way too small. Um, you have to be nice with people because um, you're going to bump with each other time and time again. Um, and, and I think that a lot of people don't really realize that. Um, yeah. And then the second one, probably tied to that, um, you always want to do deals where both parties are coming away from the table happy. Um, I don't think that a deal where uh, either you feel that you've gotten um, taken advantage of or the other way around uh, lends itself to repeat business. Um, and this is something that, that it's been true throughout my career, regardless of the industry. Um, but it's something that in our conversations with, with ESPN and the deal that we were doing is something that uh, Burke Magnus constantly repeats. And, and he's absolutely right. Um, that's, that's probably the, the best um, advice that I can give. Well, I, love, I love that last point because we're, we're in a world of sports, which is really truly about wins and losses, like literally about wins and losses. But in business, you know, you make a great point, uh, especially if you intend on having a long-term career in the business. You don't want to go around screwing people uh, yep. and beating people up on deals and things like that. So that's, uh, I think you're one of the first people that actually answered the question in that in that way. Yeah, it, it's funny. Like, I, I don't think be nice comes up a lot, to tell you the truth. <laughs> well, I think it does, Joe, in the conversations we have, you know, more, the yeah. more smaller conversations. Um but yeah. I, I know you and I remind all the, the young folks at Columbia that uh, all the people that you're working with, your, uh, your peers in the program, the faculty that you work with, the people that you're meeting in internships, the people that you'll be working for, guess what? That's going to be your crowd for the next 15, mm -hmm. 20, 30 years. So get used to it. Yeah. Right? You know, one, one really funny thing uh, before Boris, we want you to tell us where people can find you and, and find La Liga online. But uh, I was sitting at the Big East tournament with Mary Wittenberg the other night, which I didn't realize that her son is on the basketball analytics staff at Xavier. That's why she was there. She's sitting there by herself and she oh, called me right. over. And the first thing she said, you know, the first question I always ask somebody is, what do you think about that, that man or woman as a person? And, you know, that's how Mary's based her amazing career on, on being around the right people. Yeah. And I had yeah. never, she said, that's always the first thing I asked. Cause we had talked about Jessica Berman before that. And, uh, yeah. Uh, and it is. Be nice is not a hard thing to do. And especially two years, you know, the last two years today, March 11th, you know, you think about the people and the things that we've all been through collectively and personally and professionally and be nice is important. So yes. anyway, on that note, that's the theme of today's show. Be nice. Yeah. And that should be yeah. our hashtag when we, you guys, when we, <laughs> we post the hey, show. Boris is really nice show. to MLS. I don't know if there are uh, other leagues. Boris, what's your, what's your handle on Twitter? Yeah. At Boris Gartner. Okay, that's easy enough. B-O-R-I-S-G-A-R-T-N-E-R, -E everybody. Uh, follow yeah. them. Um, check out La Liga. I think, Joe, that's pretty easy to find on, yeah. on social media. Some of the largest right. follower follower groups in, in all of, uh, all of uh, mm. sports and entertainment. Uh, Boris, thank you so much. That was outstanding. Um, I can see why you've done well for yourself in, in the executive ranks because you have really um, great insights into, I think, how business is evolving and how you keep up to accomplish the goals that you talked about developing fan bases and doing the right kinds of deals, being super strategic. I learned a lot. Um, and I was very inspired by a, a lot of your uh, comments. So thank you. I appreciate you. Thank sharing. you, Tom and Joe for it, for the invite again, really enjoyed the conversation. Um, and Joe based, you know, going back to your point at the beginning, hope that we can, uh, 
get to share moments in person soon. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. I'm enough. So I know, Joe. Yeah. We'll uh, soon enough. I mean, I I missed last weekend in Boston, but um, soon enough. There's a, mm -hmm. a rumor about a party at Columbia on March 24th. That's that's yeah. hot right now. That may actually happen with adult beverages being served. I understand. So <laughs> that'll probably attract a crowd. Anyway, bars. Thanks again. Thank you uh, to Sam and Yash behind the scenes for helping us produce every week. We appreciate you guys. Um, thanks to the program for supporting us. Joe, another great episode. We're on a roll. Appreciate it. Let's go Mets. See you Let's later. Let's go Mets. And, <laughs> yeah. and finally, you. to everybody, be nice. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.